So speaking of America, we love to customize things here, don't we? Right? You can customize your cars. You can customize your computers when you order them online. And I'm not just talking about the nuts and bolts of the insides. Like, you can customize the colors. I mean, you get a phone, right? You can't just get a phone now. They're like, well, what color do you want? It comes in multiple colors, right? And then you can figure out which, which case you want. And some cases are customizable cases. We love to customize things, right? We can customize uh, our fantasy football teams or fantasy baseball teams. We can customize our... our uh, the graphics on our cars, we customize our houses. Any of you who are into decorating, you customize that, right? You don't know, just like, well, it's a house and we just put a simple chair here for me to sit in, right? No, you customize your house. For crying out loud, we get to customize our sandwiches at Subway when we go over there, right? It's fantastic. You can customize it. In fact, I remember when I was a kid and I went there and I, they're like, what do you want? And I'm like, I don't, I, I don't know. Well, you can have anything. And they're like, what do you want on it? What comes on it? Whatever you want. Like, what? Right? I'm just used to saying, well, I want this. And then it comes with whatever comes on. And if I don't want something, tell me no. They're like, no, no, you choose. We love to customize things. The reality is, is we also get to customize our hearts. We get to choose what kind of hearts. And by heart, I mean, as most often the Old Testament, New Testament, the writers mean, is the inner person. The thing that makes you, you. When the Bible typically talks about the heart, sometimes it's talking about the organ, but some, most often it's talking about your inner self, what makes you, you. And we get to customize those hearts. And we can choose to make them what we want to make them. And sometimes that's good, sometimes that's not so good. As Christians, we are already told how to customize our hearts. We are, which is like, wait a minute, you just said we can customize our heart, right? And God calls us to freely customize our hearts the way he wants us to customize our hearts. Uh, go ahead, uh, Drayton, put up a Galatians 5 here. And uh, Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. So when you accept Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you. And now you're in a relationship with God and he's always with you and he's encouraging you to embrace and to change and here is the fruit of the Spirit, or what happens when we are in a positive relationship with the Spirit and we allow Him to change our hearts. And we, we, uh, we work with Him in unison to change and transform us, and we submit to that transformation. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I think when I say it out loud, I usually, like, from memory, I, I switch gentleness and faithfulness, but it's fine. God knows my heart, which is messed up, so <laughs> here we are. No, but... Right, like look at that, that list. And on a cursory look, we say, wow, what a beautiful, amazing list. But really, I mean, if you're talking about customizing your heart or allowing your inner life to be your inner life, is it really customized? Is it really characterized by love, right? And you think about this as, as individuals, you think about this as a local church, you think about this as a global church. Is it really characterized by love or is it characterized by fear or maybe hatred or anger? Joy. Oh, wow, joy sounds good. But really, I mean, if you sit in the presence of anyone suffering right now, what purpose do you have to joy? There, there's no happiness to be had in a situation. Peace. Do we have any peace in our, in our society right now? Is there any place you can find peace? Uh, patience. That's hard. Who wants patience? I want it now. Um, there's a great book title. I never read the book. Well, I... I glanced at the book, but the McDonaldizations of society. Wow. That was the 1812 overture there at the end of that. <laughs> if you guys are watching at home, there's a giant boom. Uh, right, pa patience, right? Like, we want it now. I want to go through the drive-thru, I want it now. Is there kindness, 
Right? That sounds good, except for the fact there are people that don't deserve my kindness. Goodness, yes, except for when I have to do things the wrong way to get the right results. Uh, faithfulness, does that mean faithfulness to God? Yes, does that mean faithfulness to uh, those you're in relationship with, you, to your local church? Yeah, all that stuff, but sometimes they treat you poorly, you don't want to be faithful. Uh, gentleness, right? Oh, who pays attention to gentleness? Does gentleness get anything done when there's drama, when there's difficulties, when there's evil men and women doing evil things, does gentleness typically win the day? Spoiler alert, it doesn't in the short term. It really doesn't. It's self-control. I want to say what I want to say, but I shouldn't say it. Sometimes that's a hard thing to do, to filter, to not do. And God calls us to uh, customize our hearts this way, to submit to God the Holy Spirit who dwells within believers and to say, change my heart, change my heart, change my heart. What happens if we allow the Holy Spirit to customize our heart this way? We're going to look in a second at the building of the tabernacle, the, the worship space of the Lord God in the wilderness as Israel is wandering throughout the wilderness. And what we understand through the New Testament is that the tabernacle is, well, it's twofold. It's one our heart and one the local church. So let's ask the question, what happens if we build our hearts the way the Lord wants us to? We take all those, that's the way God wants our hearts to look. What happens if we allow God to build our hearts the way He wants us to? So let's jump back into the text. We're in Exodus 35, 35 verse 1. Moses assembled the entire Israelite community and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days, work is to be done, but on the seventh day, you are to have a holy day, a Sabbath of complete rest to the Lord. Anyone who does work on it must be executed. Wow. Do not light a fire in any of your houses and uh, any of your homes on the Sabbath day. Wow. Like, God's saying, you guys need to take a day off. You need rest. And it's not rest like just lounge around on the couch rest. It's this rest of spending time with God. And he's had to tell them this over and over and over again so far, and he'll have to continue to do it. He has to tell it to him so much, he says, by the way, it's the death penalty if you don't do it, right? Stop working for a moment and focus on me. Stop working and focusing on me. And now in 21st century, well, actually in New Testament times for the last 2,000 years, for the Christian, our Sabbath is the day after the Sabbath. It's the Lord's Day. It's Sunday, because this is when we come and remember that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And right now, you're experiencing that Sabbath, that rest, and you're like, I don't know if church is restful. I mean, you know, you get to the sermon part, you can go to sleep, that's fine. Uh, but, but, but then you got, you know, the musicians, right? And they work hard on Sunday. It's not like they come in and they're like, I get to hang out here. But the rest the Bible talks about, it's not just, it's not sleep. It's not doing nothing the way we think of rest. It is a time that is set aside to focus on the things of God. It is a sign to the rest of the world. I mean, if you go to church and you tell people, if you work out in the world and you tell people, oh, I'm going to church this Sunday, you, there always is this weird look. And in fact, there's always, within me, when someone's like, hey, you want to do this on Sunday? I'm like, I can't. And they're like, why? And I'm like, I'm a pastor. Right? There's always this, because you know they're going to be like, oh, that's weird. Because it is. It's totally different. And it's okay to feel that weirdness when you're like, no, I can't. i got to go to church. <laughs> and then, well, that's weird. Because it's a sign to them. Why would you go to church? Well, because there's a God in heaven. And He renews us and refreshes us. And we work hard. All of us. I know. If you came here with another family member, you worked hard to come here. <laughs> 
on Sunday morning. It's hard work, and yet there's still rest here. And yet there's still rest. He continues, verse 4, Then Moses said to the entire Israelite community, This is what the Lord has commanded. Take up an offering among you for the Lord. Let everyone whose heart is willing to bring this as the Lord's offering. Gold, silver, bronze, purple, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, fine linen and goat hair, ramskins, dyed red and fine leather, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and the fragrance incense, and onyx with gemstones to mount on the ephod and the breastplate. So God always, I mean, this is the point in the, the sermon where the pastor says, hey, we need an offering because we've got this thing going on. And everyone's like, oh, man. God always calls his people to do work for him. He always, it, like God, God owns everything, right? So God could just, whatever he wants to do, he could just make it happen. And yet that's not how God operates on the earth. He always invites his people to participate in the work that he's doing. He always does. Uh, so, so he does that here. Moses basically does a capital campaign. Verse 10, let all the skilled artisans among you come and make everything that the Lord has commanded. And so again, we've seen this before as we looked at the instructions for the tabernacle before. But again, Moses and the Lord are calling for skilled art artist people. And I think really for the last few hundred years in the church in general, artists have kind of been put on the, the back burner unless you fit a a precise mold of music or or uh, or painting or or novel like you're you're like the church is like I don't know what to do with you right that was not a happy ending I know for years I've had friends and family members tell me beg me actually they're like look you're in ministry Nathan and you also write like no novels and stuff and they don't always end like you know with everyone coming to faith in Jesus and and your stories aren't always like you know perfectly uplifting and sometimes they're challenging you need to write and do this work with a pen name I I've had that like they finally have stopped because they're like well the jig is up now but I've had people like hey we need to we need to sit down and talk oh boy what's going on you like you can't do this because Christians are going to see this thing and you're going to write about this horrible Viking person and, uh, and it doesn't end well for him, and the story doesn't end well, and they're going to be like, this guy's a Christian, right? <laughs> right? And I've had so many artist friends, right? Unless you're, you're drawing like specifically religious-themed art, right? Or you're specifically doing Christian-themed music that's worship music, then it's like, we don't know what to do with you, right? If you have like uh, an Andrew Peterson song, The Silence of God, that just talks about where is God when, uh, when I'm asking him for help and he says nothing, end of song. <laughs> and people are like, wait a minute, whoa, that didn't resolve well. Yeah, well, go read Psalm 13. That doesn't resolve well either, <laughs> right? Here, 3,000 years ago, they say, yeah, we need artists, we need artists. So if you have artistic endeavors and you're like, hey, I, I, I at least need some encouragement from the church, let me know. Let us know. I would love to know. Whether it's painting, whether it's music, whether it's writing. Uh, in verse 20, this is, this is uh, so Moses tells everything to do. Verse 20 says, the entire Israelite community left Moses' presence. Everyone whose heart was moved and whose spirit prompted him came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting for all of its services and for the holy garments. Skip over to verse 29. 
So it goes through about how everyone, you know, he had all the workers and all the people spinning yarn and all the people making uh, the various items. Verse 29 says, So the Israelites brought a freewill offering to the Lord, all the men and women whose hearts were prompted them to bring something for all the work that the Lord through Moses had commanded to be done. Uh, so I know I've mentioned this before. I'd heard a pastor one time say, you know, it says the Bible says the Lord loves a cheerful giver, but your Bible will take a crabby one as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but really, truthfully, no, don't, right? Like, absolutely don't. I, I, you know, it was a joke that he said, but I mean, obviously, that's, that was what was in his heart. But truthfully, like, don't ever give to the church unless you can be joyful. God does not need your money. He doesn't. Give joyfully. If that's two bucks, give two bucks. Right? Like, seriously. I had a guy one time uh, at a church, well, in a context where... Uh, he forgot to hand in his money and uh, or give to the offering, and so he's like, "Oh, we got, I got to get it." He hands me a check for four dollars, four dollars, and he was so stressed. I have to get the offering in today. I have to meet it, and he was so joyful to give a check for four dollars. Keep your crabby money. I want people who joyfully give four bucks. Really. But see, so the, everyone, they brought a free will offering to the Lord. Everyone who, whose hearts are prompted them to bring something for all the work. So when God's people give, it's incredible what He does, isn't it? When God's people come together, when God moves in our hearts, we can get a lot of things done. I mean, that's why we have a hospital system. That's why all around the world there are hospitals. It's not because the secular uh, humanist governments thought, well, this would be a good idea. No, it was Christians who said, we need to start doing healthcare. We need to take care of the sick. It's Christians that started it off. And you'd say, like, I know a lot of people say, well, it's a shame that there's not a lot of Christian hospitals anymore. I don't think so. We've so transformed the culture. I mean, they don't even have the imagination that this is what started it to begin with right they've so like it's so ingrained we have to take care of people and people need medical care that it's just a given no one even questions where it comes from they just think that that's normal human decency it's not that's a victory of the church what about education the educational system schools were started by christians initially started out as seminaries in order to train people to be priests but then it continued to grow and grow and grow again so much so it is outside of our cultural imagination and and, and we just think like everyone should be educated and everyone should know how to learn to read and write right and we just we just take it for granted it's a victory of the church that education has spread around the world. And there's a few places in the church that they fight against it. They don't want their people educated because they understand what happens when you're educated. You have an encounter with the Lord God Almighty and you can read His Word and experience Him here. Uh, you look at today, I mean, look at the thousands of, uh, of, of church plants that a church like ours can be a part of because we give to the cooperative program through our denomination. Look at, uh, look at the, the missionaries that we're able to send all around the world because Christians come together, pool their resources, and they send them out. Uh, look at one of the best things I think Southern Baptists do is disaster relief, right? I don't want to say how many times, but many times when there's a disaster, Southern Baptist disaster relief beats out everybody else to be there to help with giving out food and uh, having uh, chainsaw crews and mud out crews there on the ground doing the work. Because the funds and resources are already there beforehand, we're just right, waiting for something to happen so that we can go and be the hands and feet of Christ. It's amazing what happens when God's people pull together, and these people, they pull together. 
So then we see um, Moses basically appoints a bunch of people to uh, oversee the, uh, the building of this tabernacle. Bezalel and Ohaliab. I think I got that right. If not, they'll remind me of their pronunciation in eternity. But check this out in chapter 36, verse 6. It says, After Moses gave an order, they sent a proclamation throughout the camp. Let no man or woman make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. So the people stopped. The materials were sufficient for them to do all the work. There was more than enough. Wow. Like, I don't know of any pastors I know who are doing capital campaign or nonprofits or uh, you know, social work that are saying, man, we have too much money, so we're telling people, please stop donating, right? We have too much. But that's what happened when God moved in these people's hearts and their minds. And uh, if you jump over to 38, 38.24, This is crazy. So it says, all the gold of the presentation offering uh, that was used for the project and the work in the sanctuary was 2,193 pounds. And then verse 25, the silver uh, was 7,544 pounds. And, uh, and then it says in verse 27, um, we've got uh, uh, more, well, they used specific amounts of that silver. Verse 29, the bronze was 5,310 pounds. And, uh, and then they took a census, and the census was 603,550 men. Um, why is it just the men who are over the age of 20 years old? Why is it just the men? Again, we've gone through this, but is it a little sexist? Yes. But mostly, you know, you got a million plus people. It's hard to count, right? So if you just, you know, men tended to be typically taller. Kids kind of hide down here. So it's easier to just count one. And also, I think they were counting households. So this is families. Um, so, why am I going through all this? Uh, Drayton, go ahead and throw up this next uh, slide here. Um, the total value of metals today, I did the math, is about $6,775,815. That's as of uh, Tuesday morning, <laughs> the, the, the value of gold and all that stuff. Speaking of which, gold is like really expensive. Then silver, you're like, well, that's a lot. Bronze is like, I don't know, two fifteen, <laughs> like whatever, two dollars and fifteen cents. I was like, what? Uh, that was crazy. So the yeah, the bronze didn't bring us up there that much. Go to the next one here, Drayton. So divided by six hundred three thousand households, basically every household gave about eleven dollars and twenty three cents. That's crazy. Right? And God put these numbers in here so we could look through them and go, wait a minute. But they were so overwhelmed with every, everyone was so desirous of doing uh, what, what God wanted that they basically just gave $11.23. And Moses like, stop. And they're like, we got a lot more. And he's like, we don't need it. <laughs> we don't need it. So that brings me to the question like, okay, what would happen if uh, all the Christians in America gave $11.23. So there's 230 million Ameri uh, Christians in America. Go ahead, Drayton, throw the next slide up here. Uh, it's 2 billion with a B, basically 2 billion, 500 million, etc. right? Um, that's a huge number. Two and a half billion dollars. What could we do in the name of God for the glory of Jesus with two and a half billion dollars? Like, most of us can't even wrap our brains around what a million dollar is. We kind of is, Ken, because of house prices now. <laughs> it's two houses. <laughs> but, but, 
but a billion? I know if one of you is going to be like, well, that's like a hundred or what? I don't even know. <laughs> a thousand houses. Um, a billion is a huge, two billion. Okay, so then I, my brain, you know, because with everything going on recently, uh, got to think of this. Do I have another slide? I don't remember if I put this up here. I think I did. Go ahead. Yeah. So $111 billion is spent in annual maternal newborn care. So if every Christian spent $483 a year, we could cover the cost of all maternal and newborn care. Right? So you look at everything that's happened with Roe v. Wade recently and people saying Christians don't care and all this stuff. Okay, well, there's, there, there's, there's your share. There's your portion. Right? If you're saying, hey, I want to I wanna, I wanna serve women who are in pregnancies and they're not sure what they want to do or they're in a crisis or they don't have a support system, I mean, I, what a testimony that would be. $483 a year could cover the cost. Now, I know not everyone needs the cost. But I, I was just thinking, like, this isn't that much, really, for us to take care of every woman and child. I know there's other costs that come down the way, but, but that's not a huge cost. Not in America. Just something to think about. When God's people come together and they're moved by God, they can do amazing things. So then, for the next several chapters, we hear about how Bezalel and Ohal... Oh, I said it right the first time. Oliab basically make everything. They make the ark, they make the table, they make the land stand, they make uh, the altar for burnt offering... They uh, build the courtyard. And go ahead and put up this uh, picture here, Drayton. Basically, they build all of this stuff so that they can have the worship tent that's valued at whatever. What did I say? Two and a half million dollars? I can't even remember the number now. It was a lot of money. But they made that. And that's just talking about the metals, not everything else. So they make that. Now, we're looking at this, and we see this tabernacle, and this is where the people came, and this is where the glory of God rested in that middle tent. That pillar of smoke and fire would come and rest down there. God's visible presence was there. But we understand from the New Testament that we are, all, we are now called the temple of God as individuals, Christians, and we're also the, uh, the temple of God as a local church. Go ahead and uh, put up the uh, next slide here, Drayton. In uh, 1 Corinthians 6.19, as an individual, Paul said, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? Okay. So now, right, you look at this big project that was going on in ancient Israel, and God's saying, I'm doing that big project within your individual heart now. But also, as a local church, He's saying to the church in Corinth, don't you yourselves know, so that's now plural, don't you yourselves, don't you Corinthian church know that you are God's temple and the Spirit of God lives in you? Right? So Paul's a smart guy. He knows what he's talking about. He's saying, yeah, you are as individuals temples of the Holy Spirit, but every local church is a temple to the Holy Spirit of God. God's presence rests within the body of believers in the local church. So, he went through painstaking details telling ancient Israel, this is how you should order the tabernacle, this is how you should build it. And now we see 21st century, fruit of the Spirit, this is what he's telling us, this is how you need to order your hearts, this is how you need to build your heart, this is how you need to customize your heart with these fruits of the Spirit. Submit yourself to the Spirit. This is how you need to customize your church. Your church should be characterized. Our church should be characterized by... Those go ahead and go ahead to the, the fruit of the spirit here. Your church, our church needs to be characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Which one do you think the Orchard Church needs to work on with the help of the Holy Spirit? Your hearts, my heart, needs to be characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Man, I don't want like gentle so hard, isn't it? For me, you know, somebody say amen. Uh, which one do you need to ask God to help you with the most? What happens if we choose to submit to this and we allow God to build our hearts the way He wants us to? So they set up the temple. In chapter 40, verse 20, it says, Moses took the testimony, placed it in the ark, and attached the poles to the ark. He set the mercy seat on top of the ark. He brought the ark into the tabernacle, put up the curtain for the screen, and screened off the ark of testimony just as the Lord had commanded him. So Moses takes the Ten Commandments and he puts them within the Ark of the Covenant as, a, uh, as an ongoing testimony. So, God always is calling the church to change and to grow in Him. God is always calling us as individuals to change and grow in Him. What's the result of all this? What happened with Israel? What happened when they put together the tabernacle exactly the way God told them to? And what happens to us if we put the tabernacle of our hearts together the way He's called us to? What happens if we put the tabernacle of His local church together the way He wants it to? What happens? Well, my Bible decided to flip over while I was moving around. So we'll never find out. Okay, I found it. <laughs> Chapter 40, verse 34. It says the cloud, remember the cloud of God's glory, the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was unable to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud rested on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. They saw God's glory. And glory is, I mean, it's this, it's this huge word. It, 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 means, it can mean fame. It can mean beauty. It can mean God's work. His presence. It has all of these things in it. God's visible glory comes down and rests on the tent of meeting. They see God's glory visible and present. They know that He's with them. They know that He's with them at all times. For you and me, I haven't seen God's glory like this, but I have seen God's glory. Where have you seen God's glory in your life? Where have you seen God's glory, His beauty, His work in the local church? You know, I was talking to a few uh, people from uh, the Orchard Church recently, like, where have you seen God's glory in the church? And people were saying, well, at the meal distribution, the people we're able to pray with, and the people we're able to, to minister to, uh, VBS, Sharon mentioned to me that uh, when uh, two years ago before COVID, when we had it last, like 12 kids gave their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you think about uh, the, the wells in Uganda, right? Like the wells in Uganda that we've, we've been able to help uh, finance so that people have clean water. I mean, just think about that. Like, you know, we're in totally uncertain times, right? This is not a wealthy church. Just look around. You can tell we're not a wealthy church, but in the moment... When, uh, when there's no uncertainty, we said, well, we have the funds, so let's do it. I mean, how can that be anything other than God? Right? Because you just, like, our brains would just say, hold on to it. <laughs> just hold on to it and wait because things are getting worse. And they have. 
And yet God still has provided for us. Uh, you think about, um, about just our, the whole situation of God bringing us here to this church. Uh, God very evidently wanted us here in Kingsley, in this place. This was our only option when our lease was about up. I know as individuals, wherever I've seen the glory of God, it's been in so many places, but you know, most recently uh, is when our son Samuel was born. When he was born, he was not breathing. And I saw the glory of God when our room went from one nurse to 25 healthcare people coming in and surrounding that child and making sure that he can breathe. I, the second that he came out and we knew there was a problem, I began praying out loud. My hand was stretched towards him and um, I saw the glory of God. I saw the miracle of God made through those individuals that came and brought that kid back to life. That's where I see the glory of God. We've seen the glory of God in so many different places, so many different ways, so many, so many different uh, uh, methods and modes. But see, what happens when we, put our, we build our hearts the way God wants us to, the way Jesus told us to? It's not just that we see God's beauty. It's more than that. I mean, can you believe it? Like God's beauty, that should be enough. But it's more than that. Verse 36, the Israelites set out whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle throughout all the stages of their journey. If the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out until the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and there was a fire inside the cloud by night, visible to the entire house of Israel throughout all the stages of their journey. So it's not just that they got to see God's beauty and experience God's beauty. God's beauty his glory led them throughout all the stages of the journey. This is a perfect place to end Exodus. This is the perfect place for us to end Exodus because He leads us throughout all the stages of our journey. What happens when we put our hearts together the way God wants us to? When we customize our hearts the way He's called us to with those fruit of the Spirit? When we build our hearts the way God told us to? He leads us with His beauty. His beauty leads us everywhere we go. Now I think in the New Testament, we can see that there are times where God gives us multiple good options. Right? I think us as Christians, sometimes we're like, man, what is exactly God's will here? And I really truly do believe that God often gives us multiple options. Well, you could go with this job or you could go with that job. You, you could marry this Christian individual who loves me and loves others, or uh, you could stay single and, and serve me all the more. Right, right. God does give us godly options that we can take and we can move. And I don't think one is necessarily better than the other because when we have given our hearts over to the Holy Spirit, when we've allowed the Holy Spirit to change and transform us, then what happens is He, 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 he molds us and He shapes us and He transforms us so much so that we can make godly decisions, right? If there's a decision, well, should I take this job that embezzles money from, from the elderly? No, right? Like, obviously not. Or should I marry this individual who doesn't know Christ and, uh, and hates all of his work? 
No, right? The Holy Spirit gives us wisdom. He gives us insight through His Word and He tells us through our spirit. But then there's other opportunities that He gives us. And you go, what, 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 what's God's perfect will here? And God's saying, I'm giving you options. What do you want to do? Talk to your friends. Talk to your family. Talk to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Make the choice. Now, there's other times where they're very specific, like, like, like coming to this church. Like those of you guys who were around here at this point, coming to this location, moving to Kingsley, there was zero options. This was it. God made it manifestly clear, this is where I want you. Whether you like it or not, Nathan. <laughs> and we moved here, and he's blessed us abundantly. And it's a joy that we've been here. But I think in general, he, he, he guides us by his beauty when we've ordered our hearts correctly. Let's look at Galatians one more time. Go ahead and put this up here, Drayton. Which one of these do you struggle with the most? Ask God the Holy Spirit to say, which one? Like, let's just focus on one. But my goodness, I mean, I did that this week and I was just absolutely shocked with what he was revealing to me. I'm like, I got that down, Lord. I really was. I was, And this one came to mind, and I was like, nope, I'm good with that. And I just felt the Spirit of God saying, are you sure? Are you sure about it? Right? Well, I'm not now. <laughs> and as I began praying, I realized, no, no, I'm, I'm not. Which one? Ask God the Holy Spirit to reveal to you. Let's pray right now. Father, I pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will reveal to us, each of us as individuals, which one of these are you calling us to submit ourselves to the holy spirit to work and grow and father as you reveal that through the spirit i pray that you will help us to surrender our hearts to the work of the spirit in our in our hearts and that you will allow us to let him work and I think that's the first step. The second step that is, I think, find a situation that you can put this into practice. Right? Love. Oh man, there's that jerk on the internet I can't stand. Well, send them an encouraging note. <laughs> right? <laughs> Joy. Uh, you're going to find a difficult situation, right? You're, you're going to find something where you're just so stressed out. You know what? Take a step back. And as uh, Kristen's grandmother, I mean, I just so moved by this. Whenever she was overwhelmed with life, she would just go and she'd start singing hymns until, until she felt better about whatever was going on, even though the situation didn't change. Right? Take yourself, give a moment, start worshiping God in the midst of the storm. Uh, peace, same, same kind of idea. When you feel like going to war, ask the Holy Spirit for peace. Uh, patience, you do not have to go searching for situations to find opportunities to practice patience. Right, Ryan? <laughs> you have kids, so... <laughs> patience tested multiple times a day. Uh, kindness, right? Same thing, find, find an opportunity. Go pay for someone's uh, meal in the drive-thru. Uh, goodness. It's hard to be good when everyone else is being bad. Faithfulness. Choose to practice faithfulness to your family members who you can't stand or, or um, you know, those difficult people in church. Gentleness. Some of us are, are naturally very aggressive. I think that's me. Because I felt like I was, this is the one I was like, yeah, I got this, Lord. I'm gentle! <laughs> And I'm like, no, like you gotta, like, really? No, but I'm gentle, right? Apparently not. 
find opportunities to be gentle, especially, especially when there's people and they've got, you know, and you're like, ah, you know, with kids especially, it's like, no, come on. And they're trying to scam you for things that you've already been very clear on. Self-control. Um, again, this is what, not when you have to go seeking out, like if you have a substance abuse thing, I'm not saying walk into a liquor store, right? <laughs> and ask the Holy Spirit to help you out in the moment. Um, but if you struggle with self-control, God will bring you opportunities to have self-control. And that's where you have to step back and say, God, help me. Which one of these is here? Um, I'm gonna, we're going to do something weird after we take the Lord's Supper together. And uh, we got away from it because of COVID. And, uh, but you know, we're not a huge crowd today. But if, if you are so moved to publicly say, yeah, God, I want you to grow all of these within me. And I want you to grow all these in my church. After we've done communion, as we're worshiping God, if you'd come up just as a testimony to say, God, I want to grow. And I don't just want to grow by myself. I want to grow together with my church. I invite you to do that. But when we order our hearts, when we build our hearts the way God wants us to, the beauty of God leads us. Customize your heart with beauty. God's beauty. Let's pray. Father, as we're about to take the Lord's Supper together, I pray that we reveal our hearts to you. You know our hearts. You know the areas that we struggle with. You know the fruits of the Spirit that, we, <laughs> that are just dying on the branches of our lives. And we know that we are powerless to change ourselves, but because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, which we are about to remember and celebrate and experience by taking communion together, we know that because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that we have God, the Holy Spirit, who dwells within us, that we ourselves are powerless to change our hearts, but You, O oh God, are powerful enough to change us as we submit ourselves to You. And so, Father, we submit to You. We recognize that apart from Christ, there is no life. I pray that You change us. I pray that every step of the journey as we submit our hearts to You, You will lead us through every stage, whether we are starting school, whether we're going to college, whether we're in a career, whether we're a young family starting out a family, whether we are middle-aged and figuring out the next steps of life, getting ready to retire, retired, or at the final stages of life, we pray just as You led Israel through the wilderness in every stage of the journey, You will lead us through every stage of our journey. And we know that only can happen through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in His name that I pray. Amen.